The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. Once you have your Bible, go ahead and turn in your copy of God's Word to Colossians 3.22. 3.22. We're nearing the end of our study in Colossians. It's been a great ride so far, hasn't it? Man, we have learned a ton about Christ and how to live in a way that honors Christ. We've seen the, uh, the heights of His supremacy and the, the practicality of His sufficiency. Uh, all, as the way of Christ is, hits us right where we are at. And as you're finding it in your Bible, let me just uh, kind of set the stage here for us. I would be willing to bet that most of us in the room here kind of divide our days into three parts, maybe three equal parts, maybe they're unequal right now. And if not now, because you're a student, although you probably do uh, as a student just in a different way than one day you will. And maybe for everyone else in here, this was a thing of the past and now your day gets divided into three equal parts of sleeping, golfing, and time at the gym. But for the majority of us, our day is broken into three parts of, of sleep, of personal time, and of work. Of what we do as employment to provide for our families. Three parts. And it's to this final part, the part of work that our text today speaks. As I've just said, Colossians, as we've seen all throughout, it has this uh, note running through it. The key of the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ. He is great. Christ is incomparable, right? We saw in, in uh, chapter 1, verse 18, that it says, Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, underline that everything, he might be preeminent. A big word for Christ is first place. He has first place in everything. Christ uh, it has first place, in, as we've seen in recent weeks, in our relationships, Right? Christ is the head over the church. He's head over the earth. He, has, he is head over our relationships, specifically our marriages. We saw a few weeks ago, he has first place in our families, in the relationship between uh, kids and parents, and now also in our working relationships. See, the greatness of Christ is not merely just this top-shelf abstract theology meant for the classroom, but for the day-to-day -day relationships and responsibilities that God has given us. God cares about how we work. God cares about how we treat his fellow image bearers while we work. God cares about how we work and walk with him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as we were taught, abounding in thanksgiving, as we saw in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. And so as it comes to our verses today, note this, that God wants first place in our workplace not in your notes, just write that down. It's the theme throughout all of this. God wants first place in your workplace. And so let me just read the text. You'll see where we're getting this. You'll see what he is teaching here in the scriptures. Follow along. Colossians 3, we'll begin in verse 22, and we'll cross the chapter divide into verse 1. It says this, Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. 
You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Now, this is God's word for God's people in our text for this morning. Now, uh, uh, how can we sum up the teaching of these verses? What is it at the bedrock here? What is the main takeaway from these verses? Well, it is this. You can write it down in your notes. We must make Christ the center of your work. If you want to personalize it, say this. I must make Christ the center of my work. He wants first place in my workplace, and so I must make him the center then of the work. Christ is that center. He is first place. He is the preeminent one. He is the person around which everything else revolves. We said he's the center of our marriage, he's the center of our family, but he is also the center of our work. And here's the thing, when we come to a passage like this, we squirm a little bit, we want to understand, well, what is happening here, what is going on, and so we must understand what life was like, the original context of the Greco-Roman hearers of this uh, passage here. Because own circumstances, or our own American understanding, or American history of slavery into these verses, but we have to back up for a second. I'll say more on that in just a second. But we have to back up and understand what is going on here. See, in the Greco-Roman world of the day in which this was written, in the town of Colossae, there, uh, for most people, business was conducted out of their home. In the home here is a man, he would have his wife and kids, but also servants that uh, would take care of the home, but also his business interests, whatever the family was about, whether it was in, you know, like the agrarian world, farming or some other business interest, it was mostly conducted out of the home. There was no like going to the office, so to speak, or going to the factory or going, but there was very little separation between the family and the business and what they did, both to sustain their own family, but also to add to society. And it's estimated that in that day, about half of the population, some 60 million people across the Greco-Roman world were bondservants or slaves here who lived and worked with these families. Now, some were, uh, would come into slavery because they had a massive debt and they were working it off. They would uh, agree upon a time with this family, with this master. And so for X amount of years, they would work in order to pay off the debt and would then go about their way. Some were, yes, born into it, were born to a family of slaves and would serve that family. Some came into it because of their skill set that matched that family and they would then serve this uh, business or whatever. But here's the thing. It was not based primarily upon skin color. Now there were people of other ethnicities that were uh, slaves in that time, but it was not like we think of, oh, these were born in Africa, they were this skin color, and therefore they must be subjugated as a lesser race or anything like that. Now, slavery in those days depended upon the master. It was no, uh, could be no less brutal or abhorrent, as we know in American chattel slavery. And other times it was great, and it was maybe more like your uh, pleasant work environment that you find yourself now. But what's really important to us as we come to a text like this, this is just hermeneutical understanding here. We have to uh, uh, understand that when we read a text like this, we can't take it through our own personal uh, uh, experiences or our historical uh, preferences, but we have 
have to understand the uh, then when it was written in order to make the applications for today. And in order to do that, understanding the cultural context and then filtering that through a gospel lens in order to understand what we're, uh, how we uh, see these things today and not vice versa. We don't start with us today and read it back onto the text. We understand what's happening there. Shine that through the lens of the good news of Jesus Christ and what he calls us to, and then begin to make our applications and understanding of what this is. And so let me just be real clear, unless I'm mistaken here. What we know of our American chattel slavery of several hundred years ago was abhorrent and wrong. It's a grievous stain on our, on our history as a country, and yet the gospel speaks to it and how we understand that and how we uh, continue to live and to love one another. And so these verses, speaking then to that context, is not these verses aren't meant to commend or condone slavery as an economic practice but rather to teach these who had come to Christ who found themselves in this position, whether as a slave or as a master, how to walk with Christ, whether you are in it, how to make Christ the center of their workplace, how to give him first place in their workplace. And so we'll read it and we're going to make our applications. We're going to come through it by implication, but we want to be careful by just like thinking this is a synonymous with their workplace and our workplace here. Different cultures, different circumstances, yet the same truth that is guiding us forward. It's as if to say so that even if you find yourself in a place today that your workplace is like an abhorrent slave-like situation, guess what? Christ can uh, still be the center of your work. You can still work for him. And so let's just get real specific about how to do this and what does it look like here as we take the verses in order here. Look at this here. If we're going to make Christ the center of our work, here's where it begins. We must root our attitude in Christ. To root our attitude in Christ. Look at verse 22. Write that down in your notes. But he starts with, in this relationship here, he starts with the bondservants. The slaves here, it, it, it begins with the more vulnerable party, just as he's done all throughout, right? He began with wives and then husbands and then children and then, and then uh, parents and now bondservants and then slaves. To, he, he begins with them to show the equality and to esteem uh, them who were in the more vulnerable spot. He starts then with by addressing them, but then he gives the overarching, all-encompassing command. You see it there? It's very straightforward. You probably squirm even as you read it. Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Maybe your stomach sinks a little bit. Or you hear a, a, a command like that or in your independence, it kind of riles you up a little bit, depending upon how you're bent. See, children are told to obey in much the same way. Obey their parents, right? These now slaves told to do so. But note the difference here. Make note of this, that wives are not told to obey in the same way. Submission and obedience aren't synonymous. They're related but different. Submission is that willing, joyful responsiveness to the leadership and authority of a husband here. Obedience is different. It's a willingly coming under and following, the, uh, uh, or willingness to come under the authority and the, follow the directions of the master. And so we hear a command like this, and what do we immediately ask? Like you can be, you can, like, talk to me on this one. Maybe some of you don't want to. He's like, well, here's like, and I, I just know, I, I know it's probably an ungodly response, but uh, what do you immediately ask? You hear this, obey in everything. Those who are your earthly masters, and what's, your, what's, our, what's our often response? Yeah, except for when, right? 
or why or what about if they ask me to do this or when can I disobey? None of you all ask that, do you? That's just me. But here's the thing. Paul's no dummy to the situation. The Holy Spirit knows is our heart and he actually chooses not to answer this question. But in giving the command, then he turns our focus inward, not to the exceptions, but rather inward to our attitude in our working. Do you see it in verse 22? How he tells us what is our motive in our working, obeying everything, those who are earthly masters. And then he says, not this way. Here are the wrong heart attitudes, but here is a godly heart attitude, right? Not by way of eye service as people pleasers. What is that? That's the fear of man. It's the fear of man. Rather, here's the godly attitude, but with a sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And so in our heart, we really have this kind of wrestling. Are we going to fear man or are we going to fear God? In my work, in my service, is my attitude, rather, here is where he starts, is my attitude, one for eye service, people pleasing, the fear of man. So what, 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 is, what is he getting at there? Well, the fear of man is working for the esteem of, from someone else. Working for the esteem of someone else. It could be your boss, trying to please him. The master it could be your fellow co-workers to uh, gain some notoriety and a reputation among them. It could be from your wife, so she sees that you're working hard, or your husband, or your kids. He says, no, not that way. Not, we don't work for the esteem of someone else. Whom do we work for the esteem from? Make sense? From softball answer, tell me. Yeah, we work for Christ. See, if you're employed, you work sincerely for Christ, not to make your boss proud, not for the next promotion, not for the next big pay day. Rather, we work with a sincerity of heart. What is this? It's a genuine devotion to Christ. Sincerity of heart is this expression, our work of personal integrity and goodness that has no ulterior motives, has no hidden agendas, but it's rather a giving of ourselves, a working heart without reserve. Why? Because we fear the Lord. Because we trust Him. We trust His sovereignty. We're on mission for His purposes. And so we will not give of ourselves in a way that just has a hidden agenda. We will not follow in line with something that is a way to get ahead with a boss. We will not compromise our integrity in order to gain a favor from our boss. Now, a dear brother of mine, he's now with the Lord. Praise God for it. He's died a few weeks ago in his late 90s. His name is Mitch Boys. He was at our previous church in Kerrville. And uh, man, I, I love that guy. He could tell all kinds of stories. He came over to the U.S. He was part of the Foreign Legion in World War II and, and, uh, and then came over and was part of the U.S. And he, he, he's an engineer, moved all over the United States. You could spend hours with this guy. And uh, even as his body was, uh, was wearing down, his mind was as sharp as attack even in his 90s. He would just tell stories, and he'd be all over the place, you know, for all, all over the world in his stories, and, and then there and back again, and then a few hours had gone by, and, and uh, man, it was just some, a blessing of a time. But uh, a story was told at his funeral, actually, a couple weeks ago, that he, this, is, this is a man who worked for the Lord, that uh, one time his boss asked him to lie to a client. He said, no, I'm not going to do that. And when his boss asked him why, he, he said, because if I lie to this client, you'll know that I'm capable of lying and you'll never be able to trust me again. You'll never be able to trust my word. 
So here's a man who is working for the fear of the Lord, where his attitude rooted not, for, not to gain the esteem of his boss, not to gain the esteem of, uh, of the clients or anything, but he knew he was working, fearing God, even in how he worked in that, uh, in that, uh, in that environment. See, the Lord knows our heart. He wants our heart attitude even before he wants our actions. And the reality is in our workplace, we can't always choose the tasks that are given to us, can we? Just in life, we cannot control the circumstances that are thrust upon us. We get put on projects that we don't want to be on. We get put on projects that we don't have the manpower to accomplish or that we know is going to require a ton of work where we will never be able to meet the deadlines. In our work, we get called in early to fix things that we didn't break, that the previous shift broke and should have fixed themselves. Doing work that we weren't hired to do because we can't hire people to do it. We can't choose these scenarios. We can't control the circumstances in our life. But church, what can we choose? What can we control? Our attitude. Our attitude. Man, if we're working with the wrong heart attitude, it's going to be bad no matter where we work, no matter who we work with, no matter how much we are paid. But if we keep Christ at the center, we're trusting his sovereignty over the circumstances, over the projects, over the the situation we find ourselves in. If we keep Christ at the center, committed to his mission over and above everything else, even the company's mission, if his purposes are what are driving us, if our attitude is then rooted in him, we will be walking in him in a manner that pleases the Lord, where he will be having first place in our work places. But it starts with our attitude, but then it comes out in our actions. Notice what it says in verse 23, then we're to work hard or heartily for Christ. And so he begins there. He says, here's the overarching command. Here's the hard attitude in which we obey this command. And now here's how it practically plays out. Whatever you do, work heartily for the Lord. So often we think, you know, it's, okay, well, how do we work heartily? How do we do this in our workplace? We think it's just, well, I have to, like, uh, you know, stop and share the gospel with everybody before we come in. I need to be inviting them to church all the time. And yeah, absolutely do that. You know, it should be no secret to the people who you uh, surround yourself during the day that you are a Christian. But then how we then work and how we live our life should match that how we are working heartily for the Lord. And this is really the game changer here. When we understand that we're serving a Christ, that it is for him and not for men, this is where it changes in, in both how we view the reward, but also how we uh, uh, view when, when, we're, when we're slacking, right? See, this is when, when the Lord is, is, is our boss and not this person is our boss, then, uh, then things like stealing and, uh, of the time and talent and treasure from, uh, from our boss so as we scroll through socials while we're on the, on the job, as we cut corners on things, as we uh, give way to laziness and idleness, no matter what, it isn't just stealing from the company, but then it's stealing from the Lord. So he gives us this, so whatever you do, whether you are in the pest control industry, whether you're an engineer, whether you're a doctor, whether you're a mechanic, whatever you do, you stay at home and work. If you're a gardener, whatever it is, whatever the task is, if you work at home, if you work from home, if you work at the shop, if you work from an office, whatever you do, do it heartily, working hard for Christ. 
So you're in your workplace. God has you strategically there for his glory, whatever the situation is. He has a vertical purpose before the horizontal purposes and before the production things that you are supposed to be producing. And when we have this mentality, we're here for Christ, this is what keeps us at our desk at 2 p.m. when we're ready to hang it up. It's what keeps us going here. It keeps us dependent when we are severely understaffed. When we have this vertical purpose before us, we work for Christ and we work heartily. Now, now don't miss this about the word heartily because even, even as this is teaching us that we must work hard, that we must uh, work diligently, it's not just a grin and bear it type of work. It's not just I'm going to show up and I'm going to have this chip on my shoulder because nobody else is doing it. We're going to puffed up in pride and we have a martyr complex or whatever it is. It is not just a suck it up type of hard work that even in the activity of our hard work, our attitude matters also to God in so much that we work hard with joy. See, this is the, the heartily, it's, 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 it's the hard attitude that comes with it, that we serve with joy, that there is, a, uh, that we understand that even in the hard work, the joy of the Lord is our strength. We're not just grumpily complaining, just uh, muscling through it, but our work is to be hearty. So come back to the cultural context for a minute and imagine being a slave and hearing things, uh, hearing this command, whatever you do. Whatever the master tells you to do, do it heartily as for the Lord. When he tells you to take the household refuse bucket out. Or when he gives you the, uh, a more noble task. Manage all my accounts. Keep my books. And he entrusts you with a massive stewardship. He says, run this errand. Go across town in the heat of the day or something much worse. No matter what. Even if they have no consideration for you. Your own sickness, your own physical limitations, your own weariness and exhaustion. We work hard, heartily for the Lord. And it's the gospel that then leads us into this obedience. We enter into the joy of our master. It's a gospel lens that helps us follow in this command that whatever we do, whatever it is. See, it's not the, uh, just for like these, these the, 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 the people in whom he's writing to here, it was not their human slavery that defined them any more than your work defines you. You're not defined by your title. You're not, your worth and your value is not defined by your title. You are not motivated ultimately by what it is after your name. See, no, the gospel says something of much more value about us. You know, they knew they were no longer slaves to men, but they were slaves of Christ. Bought and possessed by Christ, a, a joyful, uh, uh, eternal identity, one that is liberating and not enslaving. See, the gospel says that we were rebellious in our sin. We hated God, and God in his holiness came and rescued us out of our slavery to sin and made us alive in Christ and now set us free to be his uh, possession, people of his own possession, kept by him and lavished uh, uh, and and, uh, provided for by him. This is what keeps us going. This is what keeps us working with joy for the Lord, even if the reward does not come from our work. See, we await our reward from him, and this is what keeps our eyes up. This is what keeps our eyes forward, and not merely on the task. See, he he compels us. If Christ is going to be the center of your work, then here's the third point. We give thanks for the reward. 
the reward that will come from Christ. And so it's not just, uh, hey, work hard and see how it turns out, right? Knowing, then verse 24 says, a, a confident assurance, knowing that from the Lord you will, not might, but will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Underline that, highlight that, make sure you never miss it here. Give thanks for the reward. If Christ is going to be the center of your work, you want Christ to have uh, the, the first place in your workplace, give thanks, knowing that he has the reward. See, in the context here, slaves, they typically had no share in the inheritance if and when the master died. You know, if they, even if they had served their whole life, they would typically have no share in the inheritance. They were just working uh, as unto the Lord, knowing that this was the right thing to do. And, you know, maybe in your situation, too, it's not that different, right? Say if you work for Caterpillar, then CEO of Caterpillar dies. The, the, all the, the workforce across the U.S., do they get a share of the inheritance? Probably not. If your boss, that may probably not. But what joy then to these slaves, what joy to us to know that something far more valuable is our reward. Something far more valuable that when we're brought into possession by Christ, he is the prize. His love is our reward. His presence is our inheritance. And there is something way more uh, sure in that. That even the, the largest inheritance ever received by somebody in history will always run out, but not this. Better than any payment, better than any promotion, better than anything that you could ever receive. The most exorbitant amount of money that you think would create a generational wealth for your family can be taken away and will one day run out, but not what we receive from the Lord. His love, His abundant and never-ending love for us is the reward. His presence is our inheritance of knowing him, eternity with him, the experience of the goodness that comes from Christ. And this is why we serve, is it not? This is what motivates us to continue to work this way. And here's the thing, when this is our reward, when we're motivated by these things, then it doesn't matter who you work for. It, you work this way, and then, and then companies will want you to work for them. But, and if they don't, then, well, the reality is, maybe you don't want to work for them. You're working hard. You're working with joy. Then you can rest assured that God will take care of you in the reward and also in the consequences. Look at what verse 25 says. It's like it's both a comfort and a warning, right? It's like we look to Christ for the reward, but also know that if you are not, here, there, is, there are consequences, right? If you are uh, uh, slacking, if you are doing what is wrong, it will be paid back for you. There's no partiality. It doesn't matter the circumstances that you are in. And so note this, like as we work, the, how you work, how do you, how, just ask this question, how do you work when you're alone? When the boss isn't around, does your work production change? That the integrity by which you uh, carry out your responsibilities, is it different when your human boss is in the room or when he is or she is not? Because who is always with us? Who is always in the room? So here's a, a warning for us. A warning, but also comfort if we are being mistreated. See, it is both for the slave and for the master, these consequences here. If we are treating people wrong, then guess who uh, vengeance belongs to? Church. Belongs to the Lord. Isn't that our great comfort? Not our great comfort that leads us in obedience, even if somebody else is not? Even if these things do not define your workplace, that the Lord knows and shows no partiality. 
But see, these making Christ the center of our work is for the master too. We spend the bulk of the time here, yes, in the bond servants with, with, with many uh, uh, look at the, the commands and the hard attitude here, but he also takes us to the master. And here's the last point here. If Christ is going to be the center of our workplace, then we must establish Christ as the standard. Just like in marriage, just like in our families, Christ uh, has the design, the instructions, and also the, is the example in how we work. And so, Master's just real simple uh, but overarching command here. Treat or act towards your bondservants how? However you want, however you want to get ahead, right? Justly and fairly He's saying these are the things that should define our work relationships. This is the standard, a standard of justness and fairness. And what's the difference really in here? Well, justice is, or treating people justly, is this is what is right, and the fairness is then the application of it. It's not enough, okay, yes, we know here are the values, but this is then how it gets taken out, and this is how uh, consequences and reward and all that stuff is carried out. But he brings back, even in the command and also the standard, he brings out the motive for us as well. Why do we who have influence, why do those who employ others, why would a master treat his slave this way? Because we too are under authority, right? You have a master in heaven. Now, one person on the face of this planet is not a person under authority. Even the highest position in the land. You know, they say the president has the most power in the, in the, uh, across the globe. Although maybe that's changing. But even he is a man under authority. Why? Because the Lord sees it all. How you work, how you treat other people, how you are uh, uh, acting in the workplace. He knows if you're unjust or you're unfair or you're living according to the Lord. Maybe some of you are working in a, in a, in a, a place right now that is it's very unjust, it's unfair. Maybe it's not. If, you, if you're in a place where you, you have a, your, uh, your earthly master your boss, your employer, the company in which you work for is a place that is just, that treats people fairly, uh, just stop and tell the Lord thank you right now. for that. That's not the norm, is it? It's not the norm. So many of us know uh, places like this, and maybe it's not abhorrent to, to the place of slavery, but, you know, I, I can remember in my own life, I've, I've always been a pastor, you know, since my working years, grew up in the greenhouse business, and, and we served there Worked for a season at McDonald's. That was a, a riot. Um, as a teenager, I worked at a gas station. I worked for you know various people doing manual labor and, and things. Worked at a summer camp. But while I was a student at Moody in downtown Chicago, I drove horse carriages. That was that was really funny. You know, you can imagine me, you know, in my top hat and and a black vest and a little bow tie and just you know driving. Uh, these massive Pertrons, these French draft horses through the city, giving people tours, and, and man, it was, it was so much fun. Um, we got to see a different side of Chicago uh, by doing that. All the traffic and everything's bustling by, and you know, getting to serve lots of, of people in that way, and, and uh, that's how I paid my way through school. But, um, um, but it was fun, but, but I'll just say what, the, the work environment was not this. 
It was so unjust. It was so unfair. The amount of corruption in the whole industry was so astounding to my, you know, naive, you know, little like young 20-year-old mind. They're coming from a rural community in Wisconsin where everybody knows everybody and, you know, where there was just a, 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 a lot less corruption like this, a little more justice and fairness and coming in and being treated just so poorly. And man, the other drivers and people would play the game. And I can't say that I was, you know, perfect in these things, but I was trying my best just to have a Christian witness and they all called me Father Blair because they knew I was studying to be a pastor and had kind of a Roman Catholic understanding. And, you know, they'd want me to come and, like, anoint their horse with water and hold around. I was like, not that kind of guy. You know, not the guy. I'll pray for you, but I don't, I don't do that. But the point is, I think that that is more the norm in life and what stands out in our day, in our culture, just as it did in these days, that when, when our, the culture in our workplace where Christ is the standard and biblical virtues are the norm, whether that's said outright or just by practice, uh, this is what stands out and will shine the light for the gospel and whatever influence you may have. If you're a boss and you lead people, lead them like Christ. See, humans are not just mere resources. Even though our companies have whole departments of human resources, but they are valuable image bearers meant to be treated with dignity and fairness and justice. They're not to be used for our own ends or the advancement of our own purposes and our own promotions or the advancement of the company. But we build a workplace like this where just the standard, just the bare bone is justice and fairness, let alone things like grace and mercy and the characteristics of Christ, then, uh, then people will want to work for you regardless regardless of how much you pay and regardless of the benefits here. Why? Because we offer something uh, that money can't buy. So you do grasp the significance of this. That we in our workplaces, whether you're a master, whether you are a slave, whether you're an employer or employer, your work and your leadership should reflect the character of God. That's what this whole text is bringing us to. He, at the beginning was, here's, the, here's Christ, here's his character, here's who he is. And now we have the opportunity in the relationships that we spend the bulk of our time, in our marriages, in our family, amongst our working relationships, those with whom we, we have the opportunity to influence people for Christ. You will interact with people that I will never interact with. And, and see, here's the thing. When we take advantage of people, when we have unrealistic expectations and demands, when we're living two different lives and we're full of anger or whatever it might be, this has really no place in our life, let alone in the workplace. Rather, here we are as people characterized by Christ who see his design, his instructions, his example of his humility the mission and the purpose for which he lived, this then is the standard of our conduct in our working relationships for as much as you have influence and as much as God gives you opportunity to do so. See, where did we begin in all this? God cares about how we work, right? God cares about how we treat his image bearers while we work. That's why he includes this, these very specific instructions. He cares about how we walk with him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as we are taught, abounding in thanks, given. Why? Because he wants first place in your workplace. Whatever that is, whatever that is. And so the charge for us today is to then make him the center of our work, following his example, even when nobody else is, even if you're in the most abhorrent of situations, where you are at right now, you can shine a light and he can have first place and he will use you in the midst of that.
Let's pray and ask him for his help to do so, shall we? Pray with me now. God in heaven, here we are. Here we are, and even as we uh, come to a text like this, Lord, there's lots to untangle, lots of uh, you know, uh, so-called hard pills to swallow in this. How do we obey? How do we live this out? How do we uh, work this out and work this way, Lord? But yet you know all the situations. You know where we're troubled. You know what is difficult, Lord. And so we just pause to acknowledge our situation before you. Maybe to tell you thankful, uh, thank you for it. Or maybe we just need to ask for your help in this project with this work coworker, with this employee, whatever it might be. God, here are our situations. Would you hear our prayers now? No matter what, God, we're just grateful that you do give us help, that you love us enough to give such uh, clear and practical examples like this. You love us enough to expose in our own hearts where we've gone uh, awry, where we've sought to please somebody else and, to, and, and taken our eyes off of you. God, would you recapture our attention this morning? Would you reignite our awe of who you are in, uh, in our life, in our workplace? Father, you, you know that uh, maybe this afternoon, but tomorrow or whatever day, this, this stuff gets real. So we do, God. We want you to have uh, first place. We want to live that out, and so we need your help. Teach us what to do. Teach us how to live in a way that honors you, Lord. All for the sake of your great name, that you would be exalted uh, in our life, in our work, all throughout it. Pray these things now in the strong name of Christ.